We always eat well, no matter what. We always eat well. So thank you for that. And uh, so what we're going to do in our second session, I just asked Brother and Sister Varnum to speak from their heart. As Actually, that's what we've asked them to do for the whole weekend. And um, we are going to be mindful of your time. And uh, But at the same time, there is... I've attended just thousands of meetings like this over 30 years. And and I'll tell you something that's really consistent about meetings like this is there is a synergy that begins to build at 10 o'clock. And there's, and there's, there's a, a momentum. And so I believe that the Lord can just speak into our heart some wonderful things. It's all, this. They're going to be talking about some new things. They're not going to get up here and repeat what they've talked about, but it's all going to connect to what we've already heard. And so let's just lean in. I know some one of the um, difficult things is when you feed people and then you want to talk to them later. So we have a little siesta and then come back again. But uh, we do appreciate them taking the time to come and be with us this weekend. And I'm looking forward to the Lord doing something great in our midst tomorrow as well. And uh, I appreciate uh, Sister Varnum just getting up here and talking from her heart. And and, uh, I do think they make a a dynamic team. We see, my wife and I see so many, so many similarities in their relationship and ours. She thinks way outside of the box. I think way inside of the box. (laughs) But together we, we find the edge and I appreciate that very, very much. You mean you guys ready? Brother Varnum, you ready? Let's give Brother Varnum a hand. Would you do that? I just briefly want to say, however sincerely, how much I appreciate the invitation to be here. And I am humbled by the confidence that Brother Sister Boyd put in my wife and me to allow us to do this. And and by your attendance, I'm humbled by that, that you would come to hear us. And obviously, you have a wonderful church. <clears throat> and I'm just greatly looking forward to the services tomorrow and um, and all that would be happening. <clears throat> uh, of course, this is all, this is what I live for. And uh, since I don't have all the duties of a pastor anymore, uh, my wife are having a ball just doing just what we're doing across the country and um, today we're really loving it because we're right here, not too far from us, with our some of our very good friends, That's Sister Boyd, and all of you that are here. God bless you. I want to talk to you this last part about uh, what I have decided to title "Trickle Down Leadership." Um, and some of this is basically supporting what I've already talked about in the other paper. So I'm not. I'm going to move a little quick, more quickly through this. Um, I left a few blanks there for you to fill in just to hopefully keep you on the same uh, line and page with me. So we'll stick together through this. Um, as you noticed, I did not read Scripture when I taught my other lesson. I just simply talked to you out of my heart, and I'll be doing the same, but this comes from the Scripture. Um, in that respect, I guess that's a little different. Usually we take our text and then we preach, but in this case we... We're going to now back up what we just talked about with Scripture and a few other things along with it. I want to talk to you about the trickle-down leadership. And, of course, we know that it starts with God. And everything else is under God, so it has to be trickle-down. 
because um, it comes from God. Amen. Of course, uh, the beautiful passage of Scripture that speaks about unity and how that the anointing that came over Aaron, that came down over his head, off his beard, down to his garments, off the skirts of his garment, all the way down to his feet. And it said how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it's like that oil. And that is indeed a trickle-down anointing. It started, it is ordained of God. God ordained that it be so, that Aaron be anointed. And it trickled from the head all the way down to the feet. And so trickle-down leadership is no different than that in that it all originates with God. <clears throat> I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, basically two two. Um, Stories of characters in the Bible that are similar, and then uh, depending on what time it is, I, I don't intend to go. I can't imagine us going the two hours that we possibly could go, but but uh, depends on how fun it gets today. Depends on how anointed my wife gets. She's got it. Who gave her that big notebook? <laughs> I am in trouble now. Um, I want to talk to you today uh, just for a little bit. I'm going to be. You have it on your paper there, so you're welcome to turn with your Bible as well, but it's written for us here. Um, there's a, a great need for leaders to develop other leaders. And that's why that I call this trickle-down leadership is because there's a great need for leaders to develop other leaders. Yes. Somewhere along the line... God has taught us a lot all along the line. Now, I did come from the old school, really. And I have a lot of old school in me, as whatever you, that may mean to you, but old-time ways of, of ministry and so forth. And I don't, when I say that, I'm not talking about kind of music. I'm talking about mentality. Really, the churches God grew up in, um, I don't mean this, uh, hopefully you don't even know anybody that was ever a pastor of any church I was at, hopefully. But the ones I actually went to, the churches I grew up in, my dad helped start some churches, but also in between that, we went to some churches and fellowshiped and went to fellowship, old-fashioned fellowship meetings where every single preacher that even said he was a preacher got to preach. And if you went too long, they'd just start playing the piano right on top of you. You just had to stop. <laughs> There's a few of you all here that know what I'm talking about. And uh, play it, sister, play it, play it, play it. And so we'd just outplay him. But, uh, <laughs> but it, so I'm from the old school, and a lot of, I've seen all that. But really, when I started pastoring, I wanted to get away from that. What I'm saying, what I'm getting back to on this is in leadership. Either the churches I grew up in, for some reason, either you was the pastor or you were nothing. I mean, and that's really, that really, that mentality, I don't hate to even give the credit, but that mentality goes back to the Catholic Church when they wouldn't even allow their members to have Bibles. I mean, I know it's not exactly, but it's similar. Either you're the pastor or you're absolutely nothing in the way of serving the Lord. You just, you just come to church. 
And I, maybe that's totally strange to most of you. I hope it is. But that was the way that most churches were when I grew up, when I was young. And, 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 and unfortunately, I think that created a lot more jealousy, a lot more competitiveness. Because people, people and the churches uh, rarely had solid, stable, or even financially supporting members because people that really have a, a if I may speak plainly, people that really have, a, have good sense, really it's hard for them to stay in a church when people treat them like they have no sense. <laughs> and obviously this meeting today is because your pastor's wife believe you have lots of sense. <laughs> and this church is what it is today because all of you put it together. Um, but, but I, so I want to, uh, trickle down leadership is leaders developing leaders. And of course, pastor, of course, God, pastor, uh, pastor has this meeting. You go from this meeting and you hopefully God, by God's grace, inspire, or you picked up some new idea or you, uh, decide that you have a new, uh, Grip on things, and and you go from there, and indeed help develop other leaders. As a testimony, Brother Boyd asked my wife to bring her books, and and that's the only reason I'm taking this liberty. I, I, he'd seemed to have welcomed us to bring. Some books, but my wife's book, she may show it to you later. She wrote it about her family, but what's the greatest enjoyable thing about her book is that she talks about her. She had her mother and father both were wonderful people, but her mother was just, she was, she had a mini mouse voice and she absolutely was petrified of crowds, but you get her one on one with people and she was one that's so quiet. You ever seen a quiet person that makes everybody lean in? And, you know, you're like, and then she's got you. <laughs> and, uh, and, but she, she was such a soul winner, unbelievable soul winner, an unbelievable woman of faith. But, she'll, but Jason, my son, uh, wrote this book called Giving Birth to Promise. And it's a, probably if you just picked it up, it's no more than an hour, hour read. Uh, most people that buy it say they don't, most of them don't even put it down until they finish it. But, um, <clears throat> but Jason, uh, Put in here five principles that work, and basically it's principles that would work in the business world, church. He, he does it from a Christian point of view. But he calls it giving birth to promise, and the, basically he just deals with their, the birth of their second child, Lydia. They just had the third one, which is a boy. His name is Joshua, and he's just a few months old. But Lydia is the only girl. There's a boy and then a girl and then another boy, and Lydia is the, is the ruler of them all. <laughs> But they made us because she was born going 70 miles an hour down the road. But um, they were on their way to the birthing center, but they didn't make it. But uh, but the stories in here, I'll let you, if, you, if you decide to get the book, you're welcome to it. I think he, both of these are $10. But um, uh, he, puts, he tells the story, but then he, he uses the basic things that happened uh, in a very unusual, unexpected, and undesired-to-happen-again situation. And thank God for this third one. They did make it to the birthing center and had a good delivery. But <clears throat> ten minutes after they got there, 
And so, uh, but he, but he, he speaks of these points, prayer, and the pray first, pray specifically, and so forth. Your perspective, it's important what your perspective is. People, it's important who the people around you and who you spend your time with, who your friends are. Position, it's important how you position yourself. Pivotal points in everybody's life, there are those points to where you will make a turn one way or the other. And then, of course, he, he ends it up with the ultimate promise, which is talking about the new birth and you know, the last chapter, just a few pages there. But he, he, this is a very good thing for business or uh, a personal growth. And this is what I'm talking about. Things like this, you just, that, that or a, maybe, a, I don't know, a thousand other books out there or whatever they are may be available. It's a wonderful thing. And, of course, uh, to help us grow. But the, obviously... You filter things. You know, when you get things from non-apostolic people, you even apostolic people for that matter, but especially non-apostolic people, you filter it in your mind through the teachings of your own pastor. That's what you just have to do. And, of course, a lot of the, when I first started realizing that I need to be a better leader and I need to train, I need to develop leaders under me as a young pastor, unlike that I'd seen in the old, old school, uh, I began to do everything I could to develop myself and then pass that along to others and really inspire others. And probably one of the greatest things that, that we as leaders can do is to, is to bring in as much information as we can, filter it through what we've been taught, and go from there. Rick Warren has written a great book, and a lot of people have heard of Rick Warren. Uh, his first book was um, a, a, a church, um, Purpose Driven Church. Uh, I read it several times. When I read a book, I'll go through it. And I'll, I'll underline something and end up at the corner of the page where you would flip a corner. I would, I would take my pen and put a little star there, you know, a little asterisk or whatever. That way when I'm flipping through it later, I'll say, ah, oh, there's something on this page I want to remember. <laughs> and then I'll go back and look at it again. But I, I went through that probably at least three times and, and taught parts of it to our church. But we're not really in the same business as Rick Warren. Rick Warren went to there. He studied the demographics and the demographics, the age of the people, the financial status of the people, the mentality of the people is where he decided where he was going to go. Um, and, uh, and a lot of things. But I learned a lot from him. But I filtered it through the apostolic mindset and, of course, the truth of God's Word. Um, and we've had to do that with, with, with writers and, and Way back, I don't know. I didn't know of any apostolic writers who wrote on leadership uh, points and leadership growth, but we do need it, and we need to, leaders to develop de- develop leaders, and that is a very important thing to do. This is a story of Joshua and how that Moses took Joshua with him. He took him up into the holy mountain with him. He also took him into the tabernacle with him, and the leadership of Moses established the leadership of Joshua. Now, Exodus 33:11. Um, if you stay with me, I know that there's just a few places in there where I've left it for you to fill in, and if you'll follow me, then you'll catch those um, spots. But Exodus 33, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Uh, so it was God speaking directly to Moses face to face. But then it was Moses that brought the young man Joshua along with him. But God was not speaking face to face to Joshua at that time. He was speaking to Moses 
And Moses was speaking to Joshua. Numbers 27, verse 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thy hand upon him. And I'm sure that that meant literally to lay hands on him. But I believe it meant more than that. It meant put him under your hand and guide him with your hand. You're the leader that I've chosen. And if you read the earlier leadership of Moses, he was not intimidated. He took good advice. When he came out of Israel, came out of Egypt, I led them out of slavery. There was so much leadership. There was so much to do. The people had so many needs that his father-in-law of all people, Jethro, said, you need to appoint you some people to help you with this work. And Josh and Moses there began to develop leadership under his leadership. And I know that's the great passion and desire of Brother and Sister Boyd and all of you that have been leaders in this church for a while is that we continue to develop trickle-down leadership one after the other. Put your hand upon Joshua. Um, There's a church in the United States that is a very, very wealthy church. I've not been there personally to the latest building, but it is far is quite a few states away from here, but it is on a hill right beside a very major interstate in that city. It is it literally has huge marble columns in it. It is absolutely almost like a Taj Mahal. It is incredible. Years ago, when the man who's pastoring there now, who's just about three or four years older than me, he and I knew each other when we were both single. We were both young single evangelists. But years ago, his daddy asked the men in the church, take a young man under your wing, under your arm. Teach him your business. Help him start his own business someday. And that's not the way most of us think. At least not people where I pastor. (laughs) If somebody works for them, they think they've done a crime if they go off and do their own work. Now, I understand there's ethics involved. You don't go undermine people. I understand that. Okay. But, but that, that's, but if we get ahead of the curve, if we get ahead of the curve with the leadership, I think we'll have less of that undermining stuff. But there again, it may not be business, but this is still the trickle down leadership that I'm talking about. This church today, uh, is a very wealthy church. Many people in that church are multimillionaires, and they were not, when they were young people, rich at all. They didn't come from wealthy families. They made it by the blessings of God. And it's a very strong church, very strong in doctrine, very strong in holiness, very strong in finances, very strong in teaching leadership, and it's a trickle-down leadership. And when when those men took those young men under their wing and began to teach them business, one of those second generations, one of those that was taught by a first generation a businessman, he eventually acquired, if I, if I remember right, it was an entire city block in the downtown, very slum, crack-ridden, drug-infested crime area where the buildings were vacant, and, and he, he bought a block for almost a song. They almost gave it to him just to get somebody to own it. He bought it at the right time, and within just a short, maybe a year, just a short time, they decided to come in and revitalize that area. And he sold it for enough that his tithing on the profit 
was in tithing was several million dollars. Tithing was several million dollars. This was a second generation. This and this is sad because the man that taught him and was a good giver, businessman, tither, offering giver, all church supporter. The one that taught him unfortunately backslid and had almost nothing. But the young man that he taught went on to become a very wealthy man and paid his tithe faithfully, even when it was into the millions. It's amazing how people, when they're making 500 a week, they don't mind giving 50 bucks tithe. They start making 5,000 a week, they act like they can't give 500 a week tithe. What's the deal with that? <laughs> it's still just 10%. <laughs> Not like Sister Cantaloupe says. Sister Cantaloupe said, per cent? Where'd that per come from? I thought it was 10 cent. <laughs> She's saying, I know what she's saying. She's saying, he's trying to be funny. He can't get me funny. <laughs> but <clears throat> that's what she says at home. But, but put your hand on them. Trickle down leadership. I'm going to just throw some of these things I've heard and known about over the years and testimonies in here. Deuteronomy 31, the next verse that we're going to look at. Uh, the Lord said unto Moses, now, he said, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation, that I may give him a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord appeared in the tabernacle in the pillow of a cloud and the pillow of the Cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. We're watching this trickle-down leadership from Moses to Joshua. The next step is Joshua 31. And Moses said unto Joshua, called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for thou must do with this people and must go with this people unto the Lamb which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them. Thou shalt cause them to inherit it, and the Lord... He is, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. We're talking about trickle-down leadership to the point that we assure those that we have taught and trained and put our hand upon them and, um, and, and helped and promoted them. Now we're telling them, you're going to succeed. You're going to do well. God's hand is upon you. You're going to serve the Lord. As my wife was saying, even about our own children or about our Sunday school children or our young people in the church or even about one another, even in this room now. You're going to do well. God is going to use you. We're going to have great revival. We're going to see a great harvest. We are going to establish new disciples. We're going to teach them, root them, and ground them in the truth. And this is what God is going to do with us. And, and so the trickle-down leadership went from there to there. And verse, I just have to read this last word. By faith, uh, Hebrews tells us, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days, and so forth. And so Joshua <laughs> was under the hand of Moses. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to Joshua. And at some point, God literally was using Joshua to bring down the walls of Jericho. Trickle-down leadership. So, bottom line, God to Moses. And I think that's the place for you to put in God and Moses. The Lord spake unto Moses face to face. Secondly, 
Moses to Joshua. Take thee, Joshua, put your hand on him. Then God validated Joshua. God validated Joshua. Make this point. Joshua did not assert himself. Moses to Joshua. God validated Joshua. Joshua did not assert himself. Deuteronomy 31, 7, Moses said to Joshua in the sight of all of Israel. And then Joshua to the people. Then you get into Joshua chapter 6, verse 10. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. First of all, that took leadership on the part of Joshua. It took hearing from God on the part of Joshua. But it took some loyalty, submission, cooperation for people. I mean, can you imagine somebody coming to Joshua and said, Give me the chapter and verse that says I can't shout when I want to shout. I mean, there's just some things, it's just a matter of cooperation. It's amazing. We, here a while back, we had a lady just running around the church, and she was just flailing, just running around the church, knocking people in the back of the head. And when Pastor Jason was trying to talk to her, she said, I've got to shout when God wants me to shout. I've got to do what God wants me to do. <laughs> well, everybody else don't want you knocking them in the back of the head when you go around the church, and you're... you're causing the visitors to completely want to run out and never come back. And, you know, but anyway, took care of that. But, but the thing is, is that, is that even some, if somebody says, not time to shout yet, yeah, but I feel it. Well, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. <laughs> you know, so sometimes it's just a matter. It's not a matter of something having to have. Well, chapter and verse says you can't shout until the seventh day. No, this was the direction of God, and this was the leader that God had chosen. God had spoken to Moses, Moses put his hand upon Joshua, and now this is trickle-down leadership. And then, actually, Joshua is, first of all, commanding the priests and the Levites to get ready to blow the ram's horns and, and so forth, and then the people to shout. So it trickled all the way down. Uh, look at Timothy. Second uh, Timothy one five. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first, first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. As of many things trickle down from those who have come before us, but it is still absolutely necessary that each of us develop by the grace of God and the help of God and by our own efforts the gifts that God has put in each of us. Paul commanded Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 is on your paper. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Even though he had a grandmother that was mighty, even though he had a mother that was renowned, he still had to study it out for himself. Let's praise God a minute, shall we? Praise God. And, of course, 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth. And this is some of the things he's telling them to do to develop. Be thou an example of the believers. In word, in conversation. Would you say charity? 
in spirit, that's basically attitude, mental disposition, in faith, in purity, till I come. Timothy, this is trickle-down leadership, sir. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And by the way, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, by the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Let me back up and say, laying on the hands of the presbytery. You can receive a prophecy straight from God, but if you neglect that, it will not necessarily come to fruition. I mean, God may say, I will do this, I will do this, and I will do this, but there's always something on our part. And so, don't neglect, neglect that gift, even though it was given to you by prophecy and the laying on the hands of the presbytery, your superiors in the, in, the, in the work of God in the ministry. But give yourself wholly to them. Meditate and give yourself wholly, completely, fully, that thy prophet may appear to all. There again, it's not a matter of us blowing our own horn and saying, look at me, but it is just simply the way it is. If we really apply ourselves, people are going to start paying attention. And leaders cannot demand followers. People just automatically recognize a leader and they begin to be willing to follow. And many times, however, he said this is not going to just happen. You've got to give yourself holy. You've got to read. You've got to exhort. You've got to give yourself the doctrine. You've got to uh, make sure that you meditate and work on these things constantly. Verse 16, take heed unto thyself and into the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Trickle-down leadership. Our constant environment affects our development. Otherwise, if we're in a very good environment, it can really help us get a good start to a good life, and even in leadership abilities. But it does not guarantee if we're in the best of environments, nor does it prevent us, if we're in the worst of environments, from developing our own full potential. So uh, Paul is making it very clear to Timothy, you've got it. You've got it from your grandmother, your mother. You've got it by the laying on of hands. You've got it by prophecy. You've got it just about every way you can crisscross it and say, I got it. But you've still got to develop it within yourself, between you and God, and how you apply yourself. Praise God. And really this works all the way down to the grassroots of how our family operates, how our marriage operates, how our children operate, it develops, it, it trickles all the way down. We must strive to become the leader that God would have us be. Amen. Now, this is just my opinion, my words. Leadership is a personal pursuit while influencing others to follow. And this leadership has twofold nature. First of all, we're moving forward in a certain direction with a specific goal in our heart. Ourself, we're moving forward. The trickle-down leadership is we're influencing others to move forward in a specific direction with a specific goal as well. To me, that's the twofold nature of trickle-down leadership. To keep ourselves moving and to help others come behind us. Leading requires constant personal growth. We know that doctors and lawyers and even mechanics now have to keep going and updating because of so many new things coming out, so many things changing. (laughs) 
Next page, God told Moses to tell, on my next page, I'm sorry. God told Moses to tell Israel something. He said in Deuteronomy 28, 13, The Lord shall make thee the head, not the tail. Thou shalt be above only, thou shalt not be beneath. If thou, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and do them. So we know what God's will is. We be the head, not the tail. We know what God's will is. We be above and not beneath. Somebody had a little cute antic comeback. Somebody said, well, under circumstances. And they said, well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> you know, it's like they were giving themselves an excuse. Like, I can't do that under the circumstances. And so the cute little answer, uh, you know, answer was, well, what are you doing underneath there? And God says, I'll make you the head, not the tail. I'll put you over, not under. Now, if we can just settle that in our mind, whatever I'm going through now, I'm not going to be here always. It is God's will for me to be on top and not on the bottom. It's God's will for me to be out front and be a leader of everything for my, my family, church, and even community. And wherever that God may lead that. Um, I am um, making some decisions here. One time I was on the platform getting ready to preach at camp meeting, you know, the, the morning session sometime. We used to have a district, still do sometime. And well, Pat Williams came by me, and I was up there marking on my paper. He said, man, if you ain't got it by now, it's too late. <laughs> I said, Brother Williams, along with this service goes, I'm just trying to figure out what I can eliminate. <laughs> now, I'm not really being limited today, but um, I... Um, I'm trying to make sure I didn't stick two pages together here. Okay. If y'all see something I did wrong, y'all let me know. I'm not intimidated by that at all. Um, Long time ago, I read this uh, somewhere along the line. You know, the dog should wag the tail, not the tail wag the dog. And um, it is God's will for the pastor and the leaders, the pastor to lead the church, and the leaders in the church to lead their various areas of leadership, it'd be the same way in your business and not the other way around. Now, this this is what I say to leaders in your department, uh, wherever it may be. Sometimes changes need to take place. We need to, Sometimes we need to completely revamp some things. And... My question is always, in my mind, through, through the years, is if I get ready to make a change, is this change coming from the Lord? Is it coming, is it trickle-down leadership? Or is this change coming out of pressure from the people I'm supposed to lead that are pressuring me to make this change? Changes are good if they're coming from the right direction. But if it becomes a Laodicea-type lukewarm situation to where pressure is coming, coming up to the leader to make him and force him, whether it be a department or business or anything else, and in my years as pastoring, I still feel that way, even in my situation now, where is the pressure coming from? And I can tell you, God, will, God knows how to put us under pressure. <laughs> but when it's coming from that way, it's the good kind. Uh, 
A leader does not merely react. We are proactive, and therefore the leader should decide on what and with whom we would put our energy. They say the hinge that squeaks the loudest gets the oil. I can tell you that whether it be a department or whatever the situation is in leadership, people will zap you of your energy and your time that simply want attention and your energy and your time. And really, a, the leader that God would have us be is that you look among your team for those who, have the, who seem to be applying themselves and have the greatest promise and make it a point to, and, and this goes even for what I was talking about earlier about taking some young lady or young man under your wing in, in business or in just life. Maybe they have a bad home situation or whatever or in the church. But see that person that has a hunger and desire and you see the hand of God upon them. And purpose where you're going to spend your energy and your time instead of just letting other people dictate where you're going to spend your energy and your time. That's a hard thing to do, especially for a pastor. But it's a hard thing to do with anybody because you got somebody standing in front of you there. And there's times when you just spontaneously, someone needs something, they're weeping, they're crying. But sometimes people, every time they want you, they're crying. And I don't know anything about anybody. So I, please don't be offended at me. As above all, don't be offended at your pastor. Offended there. But, but uh, I, don't, I don't mean to be harsh, but you really do have to decide whether you're going to spend your energy and time on people that's always whining. <laughs> please, Parby, I'm going to get a little straight here. Somebody's always complaining. Somebody's always, I don't understand, but you don't understand, but I can't, and they won't, and, I, uh, and, and they're always taking your time and energy. And there's good quality promising leadership around us that needs to trickle down from God through pastor, through us, right on down through families and children. And every one of us in this room right now knows of somebody who ain't nothing but a time sucker. An energy sucker. They just zap it right out of you and they, and they don't get any better except unless it's just for a week or two. But if we really if we really seek the Lord and even seek our pastor's advice, if we get it down to choices and really put our hand on, like Moses put his hand on Joshua, trickle down leadership on purpose, not accidental, not who's in your face all the time, but where you see that promise and God shows you that promise, it might even be your pastor asking you to put, make that effort. Let's praise the Lord. God's doing something in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Almighty. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord. But the fact is, gravity is ever pulling downward. Life is ever pulling downward. And it does take effort to keep moving forward and upward. John Mark. Paul said, I don't want Mark with me. He's a crybaby. But later, he asked for him. Onesimus. He was, without, he was unprofitable. But Paul said, now he's profitable to me and to you. People can change. And we need to watch for those times when they're ready to make that step and make that leap and move to the next level. And when they are, let's receive them and do what we can to have some trickle-down leadership. There's only... I, mean, <laughs> I just over and over again must say, this is an awesome turnout for leadership sem- you know, sessions. It's awesome. 
And some of you already have been sitting here thinking to, since we started this morning, man, I wish so-and-so was here. <laughs> Maybe it's your wife or your husband. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. Maybe it's your son or daughter. But you, somebody is probably saying, I wish so-and-so was here. Well, see, but you're here. And you're here because you're hungry and you desire and you want. There's a preacher that really helped me a lot, and he has a huge church then, has a huge church much bigger than ours now in another state. But he, he said a lot of things that helped my wife and I. And so many things, you know, he's, he's actually gone charismatic, basically, forgive me for bringing that negative thought in there. But, but he taught us some things. And even back then, I didn't want to be just like him. But he taught us a lot about soul winning and a lot about outreach. And there again, we filter it through our apostolic teaching and through the pastor's leadership. We filter it and we pull out those good things. I remember him one time saying, some of you as one as many people to God as Madeline O'Hare has. And for you young people, that was the woman who used her child to get it to the United States Supreme Court to take prayer out of public schools, supposedly. And uh, But she was a renowned atheist. He said, I tell you, you've won as many people to God as she has. Zero. <laughs> that shook me. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's true. If I've won zero, so has she won zero. But uh, don't mean I'm an atheist, but it, he, he, was a, he was a shocker. He knew how to just get your attention. But we can change. It may take time. And if we don't, if we don't take time to grow, time will take us. And it will just take us over. Uh, Continuing on our paper, developing or growing ourselves as we're developing others around us. A little thought, prepare for the future with a right now attitude. (laughs) We're not going to put things off for the future. We're not going to say I'll do it tomorrow, but we're going to prepare for the future with a right now attitude. Fourth generation leaders in the church in Bellevue, just to give there again, I'm not bragging. I'm just, just where I live. This is, this is examples I know. We, we're so woefully short and still striving so much. But this is the way it is. Fourth generation leaderships in a sense. Not necessarily generations in age, but just trickle-down leadership. Leader to leader to leader to leader. And um, But myself, I told you earlier about Jason and the, the, the time I spent with him and the effort we put together put in together, and then the, when Jason said, I want to develop the youth t- uh, department to a team ministry, developed this Magnificent Seven. A lot of good things come out of that Magnificent Seven. And to this day, they still carry it on in the youth department. I affected Jason a lot. Jason Sisko, some of you may have heard of him, he came to us at the right time for my son Jason affected him mightily in the areas of prayer and spiritual spirituality and a lot of spiritual things. Jason pulled along beside him Joey Campatella, which is now a full-time evangelist. And after Jason became my full-time assistant and later co-pastor and then pastor, Joey Campatella took over the youth department. And he continued that magnificent seven. And now then... Joey is out full-time, and Donnie Ellis is our youth pastor. And he still maintains that magnificent seven. So Jason developed a youth team, and Joey came out of that. Joey developed a youth team, and Donnie came out of that. This is trickle-down leadership. Um, 
Otherwise, each of us in this room should by this time next year have duplicated our leadership in somebody else. They won't be fully developed, but it will be obvious that it's in the right direction. True leadership develops leaders. Strong leadership develops other leaders. And, and you may say, well, I, you know, I'm kind of quiet or shy or whatever. But, you know, one-on-one, people with any personality can do a lot of good. And um, years ago, I got a it was VHS tapes back then, but John Maxwell had a whole series on 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I said, anybody that wants to learn about leadership, be here 45 minutes early before every midweek service on the midweek service. 45 minutes early. It's going to start. We start at 7.30. So I said, it's going to start at 6.45. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, we're going to push the play button at 6.45. And quite a few people came that. And, and some that came through that today are... I mean, then they had nothing, almost nothing. Matter of fact, one of them went completely under in his business around that time. Another one was a young man that was in financial business and was really, really got himself in a jam and was in was upside down. And there's others. But those that went through that today are very much of a blessing to our church financially because they have done so well. Plus, it, they're also leaders in our church and. Uh, Developing other leaders in our church, it, it just it, it helped us so much. But what what where this came to me is is that this trickle down leadership. There's a point to where that leaders develop leaders, and it's not the pastor doing it in every case. Um, I wrote a vision statement 25 years ago. I'd already been pastoring 15 years by then. But I just looked at my life and I wrote this vision statement mostly in retrospect and how I also wanted it to continue to be. We, hadn't, we certainly hadn't perfected it. And that was to aggressively evangelize people of every, every race, language, social status, and generation, multi-generational. To teach the gospel of Jesus Christ by means of kindness, love, and patience. To nurture then each convert unto the fullness of the stature of Christ in doctrine, faith, charity, and holiness to inspire and equip each saint with the ability to reproduce themselves and others and impart their God-given gifts and knowledge to others. As Paul said to Timothy, gift by laying on of hands. To provide a spiritual environment of faith, love, forgiveness, encouragement, so that generations to come will grow and be ready for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Um, you got a little bit to say? I'm, I'm going to I'm going to touch on something. This this um, I'll, I'll I'll go through this proactive thing, but let me interject something here. <clears throat> Joseph is an incredible example of a great leader. Joseph, he led in humility. Remember Joseph, his dad made him that multicolored coat of many colors, what we call it. His brothers were jealous. They threw him in a pit, were going to kill him, and then they decided they sold him. So he was sold as a slave to Potiphar, 
Now, that would have been the end of the story for some people. That would have been the end. That would have been, he would have been, that would have been all that was said in the Bible about some people. But Joseph was, he knew what God had put in his heart. He knew that vision, that dream he had of the stars and the sun and the moon bowing. Uh, anyway, the heavens bowing down. He knew the sheaves that bowed down to his sheaves. He knew that there was going to be some leadership in him where others would be following him. He, he, he held that in his heart. Amen. So when you're sold into slavery, obviously, duh, you're starting at the bottom again. But we know very quickly in the Scripture, he was at the top of the list of Potiphar's most faithful and honorable stewards. And when Potiphar's wife lied on him, there he went even deeper. They threw him in the horrible prison. But it wasn't long before that leadership rose up again. And he was the lead trustee and, and, and leader in that prison. And then those folks came from Pharaoh's, the baker and the, and the butler. And, uh, and they told him their dreams. He interpreted their dreams. Yeah, you're going to die, but you're going to be reinstated. And, and, and they went and the guy, the butler forgot all about him for a long time. And finally, one day, Pharaoh had a dream and said, nobody can interpret my dream. And that butler says, uh, I remember somebody. <laughs> and Joseph then comes out after he'd worked himself all the way up through Potiphar's ranks to the lead steward, all the way up through the criminal ranks to the head trustee in the prison. Now he's coming out to go all the way up to next to Pharaoh. A leader... Wherever you're at, whatever piles on top of us, whatever comes against us, if God put it in us, if God's hand is upon us, keep pushing forward because you will come out and you will be the head, not the tail, above and not below. Hallelujah. Joseph is an incredible example of true God-centered leadership. Proactive. I'm just, I'm just going to run through these. Proactive. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through a few verses there. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. Now, I'm not going to read every one of these verses possibly. I'm just going to read what I've written, what we have under them. Show people what they are and what they can be. The Apostle Paul here is telling these folks, these saints at Rome, your faith is spoken of throughout the world. Instill a very strong confidence and positive attitude in those that we work with. Even though they're not everything we wish they would be, we have the ability as trickle-down leadership to put that confidence in others. Verse 9, he speaks of, Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Put our prayers, thoughts, and energy toward leading others and toward developing leadership in others. Verse 10, he says, I I pray to have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. Putting out energy where it counts the most. Purpose in our heart. Whatever it takes, storms, shipwreck, right or wrong time of the year, hindrances that I thought I would have been there already, but I'm going to get there. 
I'm going to put my energy there. Verse 11 and number 4. He said, this is why I want to part unto you some spiritual gift. This is trickle-down leadership. To the end you may be established. We need to lead with an end result in mind. Number 5, which is from verse 12. He said that I may be comforted together with you. Lead the team with team-mindedness, mindedness, and togetherness, comforted together with you. Verse 13 and number 6, I would not have you ignorant, uh, ignorant. he said, but I purpose to come that I might have some fruit among you. This is a saying I borrowed from other people. We can only expect what we inspect. If we set somebody off and say, go do this, and we never look back, we can only expect what we inspect. There may be a time or two that we don't have to inspect it, but if you go a long period of time without inspecting, you can only expect what you inspect. Verse 14. I'm a debtor. Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise. Verse uh, Number 7. Leave with an awareness that not all are the same, not all will have the same abilities, as you just told about the seeds that were seed that was sown, some produced thirty percent, some sixty, some a hundredfold. That seed that fell on good ground, just that that fell on good ground, did not all produce the same. Verse fifteen, which is number eight. So as much as is within me, lead with my whole heart, knowing it will cost me something personally. Verse 16, number 9, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation. To everyone that believeth to the Jew, first also the Greek, lead with confidence. Believe in what we say and keep a strong, positive attitude in the things of God. I'm going to stop there and let my wife have a few words and refresh us together. God bless you. Let's just stretch our hands up, take a big, big, deep breath, and let's thank the Lord. God, I love your word. God, it gives me life. I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. God, I don't know where I'd be without it, Lord. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Woo! Glory! Glory. Glory. How precious, how precious is God's power, God's word. And I'll tell you what makes the difference with us is because that is what we rely on. Everything that my husband said today, and I know that your pastor probably has went through some of these very same things time and time again. But really, where we are set apart is in our walk with God. That's where we're set apart. Uh, the first year I was married... Um, my mother came to be with me, just to be there with me, and uh, here in Florida. And 
my mother noticed that after church and then sometimes before church and other times, my husband was meeting people over at the church. You know, we lived in a little parsonage next door to the church. And my mother, my mother really, the truth of it is, she was really naive. And do you remember those days? (laughs) But my mother was 70 and she was naive. She thought everybody prayed through every day, spoke in tongues, witnessed. She thought there was that Christians never said anything bad about anybody else. My mother was really naive. And when I say that, I'm saying that as a compliment. Because, oh, I remember the days when people first knocked on that little parsonage door because we were right there by railroad tracks. And they wanted money, and we'd give them money, and, you know, we didn't have much ourselves, but we'd give them two or three dollars, and and we'd see them later smoking. We'd see them, you know, I just thought people really were hungry. I thought people really were truthful. And it's really kind of sad, because after you've been in the work of God for a while, you start realizing people can really be deceitful. They can be, and then you almost go the other way. But except for, except for great leadership. And, and this is what I want to say. I want to say about your pastor. I asked Sister Boyd, how long have you guys been here? She said 25 years this year coming up. That is a long time. You know, most of your jobs, you can go ahead and quit after 20 years. You can go ahead and let's, you know, let's go fishing. But it's not that way for pastors, you know. Whether, well, you know, he may not stay here for 45 years, or he may, but, you know, we're every day looking for the Lord to come. But I'm going to tell you, there is something about the heart of a pastor. And my mother was watching these people come and go, and she said, Naomi, what do these people talk to your husband about? She called my husband Brother James. Well, what do they talk to Brother James about? And I said, um, oh, it's different things. Sometimes, you know, it's their having a problem with their husband or their children or maybe it's money or maybe somebody in the church hurt their feelings or something you know so i'm saying all that mom was just standing there looking out the window toward church and she looked over at me and said well those are the kind of things i took to the lord in prayer (laughs) and i looked at her and i said wow what a revelation i mean i'm going to tell you folks you you can't be in leadership Unless you pray through. Now that's an old saying. People don't talk about praying through anymore. And you know, thank God I was raised in this home where my mother prayed every single day. In fact, she annoyed me. She prayed so much. She worked a public job, but when she came home, she prayed. She had a lot of kids to pray for. She called every one of our names. I remember one time I was probably about nine years old. I told her, I said, you know, mom, you got enough kids to pray for. You can leave my name out. I was already such a little demon. I didn't want her praying for me. But my mother really showed me, you know, what, what you were supposed to do. She showed that to me. But let me tell you, it was my pastor's wife that told me what to do. Later in, you know, after I was getting up older, I was leading the choir in our home church. And I had went to prayer and, oh, thank God. You know, I got to walk with Sister Daniels. That was my pastor's wife. I got to carry her songbook and her guitar to San Jose Park 
We're all by herself, her and me and two or three more from the church. She got out there and strummed a guitar and got her a crowd and we handed out tracks. I got to do that with her. But when we went to prayer, this is what she'd tell me. Because once, after the night I got the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, when I got the Holy Ghost, I got it. I mean, what an experience. I, and I, I relived it over and over again because it so changed my life and my heart. But when we'd go to pray, you know, I'd get down to pray. Listen, I could be speaking in tongues in, you know, three seconds. I mean, I was there. Whoa, hallelujah. And I'd pray and have some crying a little bit. And, you know, and I'd feel like I was done. Sister Daniel, she'd go, Naomi, what are you doing? Get back down there. You need to pray through again. And really, and I was thinking, my goodness, this is kind of a, you know, waste of time. I've already prayed through, but I respected what Sister Daniels told me. And I seen the value of it to stay. And she she actually told me this. She said, you don't know. The Lord might want to say something to you now. You've been there. You've been there talking. Let's let's wait and see if God wants to say something to you. And I'm going to tell you how valuable that was to me. You know, I mean, thank God I had a mother that showed me what to do. But thank God I had a pastor's wife. And I'm going to tell you the covering of your pastor and his wife is so important in your life. It's important in your children's life. It's important. It's important in everything you do. Just a few years ago uh, at one of our women's conference, Sister um, Elms from North Carolina got up and started talking about her pastor had just died. My Lord, I got to crying so hard because my pastor and his wife have been dead for a while. And I got to think I got home that day. I said, James, who is our pastor? I mean, here we've been pastoring all these years. I want a pastor. Who can I get for a pastor? And um, I said, let's call Brother Pugh. Of course, he said, you know, Brother Pugh's very old. He may only be our pastor for a few days. And the truth is... <laughs> And, and, and the truth of it is, is um, he didn't live that much longer. But I really, I wanted somebody to be over me. I wanted somebody that would say, no, you get back down there and pray again. You haven't prayed through good enough. Maybe the Lord wants to tell you something. I wanted somebody in my life that could do that. And although I love my husband and I... I support him when he preaches. I've always been his biggest, you know, supporter. But I still, we need people over us. We need to be able to to have our spirit be under subjection to people like that. Thank God for brother and sister Boyd and the work of God that they've done here. I would feel privileged to be in this church. All right, I really didn't get up to say all that, but. I think it is important for as leaders that we're spiritual. My goodness. And, and I don't mean ha-ba-ba-ba spiritual. I mean really walking with God. And when, when, when your pastor or pastor's wife tells you something that you totally don't like, you know, you, you just remember that, you know, you're under them. And so at general conference that year, I seen brother and sister shoemaker. Now, this is Bobby and Jimmy Shoemake. But, thank you. But the, it's good people you have here. That's what I'm talking about now. You guys raised up some good ones. 
Jimmy Shoemake's mother. When I was only five years old, this will show you what a little demon I was. Five years old, they were starting their church in San Jose. Now, this is the the mom and dad of Jimmy Shoemake. They were starting the church, and she was going around picking up people. And, of course, my mother had all these kids, so we'd fill up a whole pew. That looked good. But I didn't want to go to church at five years old, and I had a brother older than me. I was born after. I. My mother had six girls, then she had a boy, another girl, four boys. Anyway, I was raised with the six boys. I'm at the end of them. I, I'm in the very last. But I had six brothers. But my brother right next to me was so good. He was just natured good. You know what I mean? You've been around people there. You know, whether he got the Holy Ghost or not, he did, thank God, get, he got the Holy Ghost. But... If he would have had the Holy Ghost, he's just natured good and easy going, don't want to cause problems. You know, well, I would just tell him what to do. He was four years older than me. So he was nine and I was five. And I would get him to crawl. We had a walk-in closet and hide on the top shelf and we'd throw clothes over ourselves. And he did not want to do this. But I knew my mother would not let me stay home from church unless Earl was there too. And so I would talk him into doing this. Isn't I was a horrible kid. And uh, so mom, sister Shoemake would come and my, because my mother, you know, she didn't drive. My mother respected people's time and she, she'd yell a few times. She knew I was hiding. She knew I didn't like to go to church. But as long as Earl was there with me, she was okay. So she'd just go with sister Shoemake. But after this time... <laughs> Uh, I'm just telling you how really horrible I was. Uh, but after this time that Sister Elms came and preached, I looked over and I seen. And, of course, since that time, after I received the Holy Ghost and and my husband had preached for the Shoemakes several times, I go to California because that's where I'm originally from. And uh, But I happened to see them. And they're older than us, but they're not like, you know, 40 years older than us. So I'm thinking maybe they're going to live longer. And I said, honey, let's, let's just go down and tell brother and sister Shoemake. Let's get them to lay their hands on us and tell them anything they feel like telling us. If they hear something that we're doing at the church or if they hear something that we're saying or if they've come across something that they feel bad about, I want them to be able to call us and say, hey, you know, you need, you need to be pulled back here. You need to, you need to settle down here. You need to. And we went up during that general conference and let them both put their hands on us. I'm going to tell you, you need a pastor. Don't ever think that you could just go, oh, do your own little thing. You're smart. You got money. Oh, you really don't need that pastor. You need that pastor. You need that pastor. You need that pastor's wife. You need people that love you for the kingdom of God's sake, not for their own their own agendas, but because they love the kingdom of God and they love what's what's about the kingdom of God. So I want to tell you, there is a great book that you should get, and I probably should have passed this by your pastor first. So it's called it's called Leading on Empty, and it and 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 of course, you know, every any time I give books, in the end, I tell you. I don't believe in really getting burned out. I know we get tired with things. I know we do. But if you're praying through all the time and getting renewed in the Holy Ghost, that should help you. That should help you and that should get you out of that slump that you get in. But there's some things that you can do for yourself to help yourself and you need to do that. Uh, my husband already mentioned this book. We only brought, I think we've got eight of them. And 
if you've got a business, I would give the people that work for you, I would give, give them this because it's just such a great book. Now, the last chapter does talk about the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and baptism in Jesus' name, but it's really just a, just a great book. This book, I, you, I talk about my mom a lot. And this is actually about my mom and my dad's conversion. And my conversion is in here too. And just tells a little bit about poor old bunch of, you know, kids and, you know, just how we made, got along. Probably like some of your families right here. There's a lot of miracles in it. Because, uh, my mom really did walk by faith. But, um, I just want to say how grateful I am to be here. I think this is the biggest leadership you know, thing we've ever done. I mean, honestly, that speaks so well of brother and sister Boyd. Uh, For them to be able to get all you guys here on a Saturday, because right now it is nap time, folks. (laughs) And we all need to be laying down somewhere. And my bed's not too far away. And so as far as me, I am done with my part. But really, I want to pray over all of you. And uh, I just want to, I just really from even the very first hour that we were in here, what a, what a great spirit just all the way through today. And, and I, I just feel your pastor and his wife just leaning. You know, there is no telling. When we passed that wreck yesterday, I did not see one apostolic. So you got sinners around here. I mean, I don't know where the people are around here, but there are sinners around here and we need them. We need to get them. People, you know, we we got backsliders around here. We need to get them. You know, they're putting on all kinds of fronts and they're acting certain way, but we don't know what's going on inside of them. How empty, how dark, how, how lost they feel. And so we need to get them and God bless this church. I just want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these, these great people that take the time out of their busy schedule, schedules. God, I thank you for brother and sister Boyd and the vision that they have. Oh my God, let this vision just explode. God, let every person here get a hold of it. God, let them remember how important their pastor is, their pastor's wife is. God, don't let them ever get out from underneath that cover. God, I pray, Lord, let this church be stronger than it's ever been. God, let it be full of glory and power and the Holy Ghost. God, let every one of these leaders be touched with your hand. Oh, God, and everyone they touch, let them feel your presence. God, I thank you for it. I praise you for it. Amen. is a very sincere strong presence of the Lord here and I want to say uh, thank you to brother and sister Varnum for touching our hearts we don't we certainly need the nuts and the bolts and the how to's but we really need a move of God that's what we need so desperately in our on our own lives and our own hearts and uh, and we have to do whatever it takes and I'm not going to try to speak over the top of them but I thought about something a moment ago that um, 
everything in my life happened ministerially. Everything in my life has happened, especially in the early years, very, very rapidly. And um, very young, I felt called. I've talked about this through the years. I always felt called to the ministry. But when I accepted my call to the ministry, it was in, in that period of time, that particular era, maybe not necessarily of time, but just the people I was exposed to at that time. I didn't come up in an hour where Bible college was promoted and and things of that nature. As a matter of fact, sadly, it was almost even made fun of and looked down on. And, and um, so I feel like in so many ways, I, I felt like I was almost robbed some things because then as we begin to lead I found myself without tools to lead and um, now you're called on to do something and and you don't even know where to start and so um, I really had to work hard this is not about me I'm just trying to encourage somebody else but I had to work hard to grow myself because I didn't I couldn't go back in time, and you can't go back in time. Amen. And so I just had to press myself into everything that I possibly could, to seminars and and leadership books and tapes and CDs and DVDs and VHSs and all through the ranks, just trying to get everything, every moment that you could to try to, I, I am a pastor, I am a leader, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I've got to... But but I can't just keep marching forward, whistling through the cemetery, pretending I know what I'm doing. I've I've got to be able to get a hold of something, and so I I just subscribed to everything. I'm sure Brother Varnum can relate to this. Just subscribe to everything you possibly can. I, every minute riding down the road, every free second that you have, you've got headphones on. You're just trying to to learn, trying to grow, and 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 I. I had a huge handicap and my my wife is an avid reader and always has been and and uh, she's not just an avid reader she's a ferocious reader and uh, and and I would just look at her and envy that because not only could she read she can retain <laughs> and and if if she's ever read anything and and she, she would not Claim, be, her claim to fame would not to be to have a photostatic memory. That's not what I'm talking about. But if she's ever heard a song, she, but she can just hear the first three notes. We, we've heard that. We've heard that. And, and and every day for me, I'm not trying to sound like a goofball, but every day for me is almost like a brand new day. <laughs> it's like I feel like I just like you know, a blank page every morning. You know, you're 20 minutes into something before I realize I've already done this before. <laughs> I think it's helped me pastoring some, though. I really do think that's helped me pastoring some. But, um, and so I had to make myself, what I'm saying is leaders are readers. That's more than just a slogan. And so for some people, that's going to come very easy. Read, oh, that's no problem. Just just gobble up books, gobble up books. And, and before the days of Kindles and iPads and things of that nature, every time we made a trip, she just had a little Walmart bag full of books. And it was not... Un- 
common at all, at all, for us to leave home with a Walmart bag full of books and have to go to Walmart before we got back home to buy more books for her. And I'm just, I, I'm still trying to read the menu at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> this is how frustrating. I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but what I'm, what I'm saying is this, is that just because it don't come easy doesn't mean that you can just shelf that and say, well, that's for somebody else. You have to push yourself into that, and I know what that feels like. You have to push yourself into that, and so you have to work and struggle. Whatever you have to do to become a more effective leader, do it. Either become a more effective leader or resign. And I'm not being unkind, but I'm just saying the kingdom of God demands our very best. I'm not being I'm not being a smart aleck. I'm being very sincere. That, that either we have to grow ourselves or move out of the way. And and because why? Because the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. Is at hand. And so we must be effective. Not just have church to have church, not just have Sunday school to have Sunday school, not just plug people into little things to have titles. But let's be effective at what we're doing. I'm telling you today is the tip of the iceberg. Amen. This is going to be an incredible weekend. And uh, you mentioned leading on empty. Ironically enough, I read that book when it first came out, and I just two days ago finished rereading that book. And um, it is it is an incredible. It's a it's a good book if you enjoy that. Uh, would I would also recommend that. I want to say t- thank you so much to Brother and Sister Varnum. I agree. It is nap time. Thank you for your time, your 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 effort, your energy. And I just want to thank you so much for all that you do. I mentioned this early on, but I want to close by saying this again. Some people in our church know exactly what you do because you are visible. Your ministry is visible. Your ministry is talked about or promoted because of the nature of that in such a way until it's no secret. But, you know, there may be some people sitting in this room today that somebody else sitting in this room has no idea why they're here. Because when you're gone, when you're doing something else, they're burning the candles somewhere else is in a ministry, maybe even in their home or, or whatever, just hidden hands. You hear me talk about that a lot, a hidden hands ministry. It's not out in front and center, but I, I still say that is, is as vital as anything we do. Amen. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for praying over us. Amen. And we just trust that you will take something from this day. And, and apply it to your heart. Amen. May the Lord bless you. We'll see you at 10 o'clock in the morning.